Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. In this audio, I will finish up John chapter 20. I will cover verses 26 through 31, for which there are no parallel passages. And this will tell us the story of Jesus appearing to his disciples the next Sunday after Resurrection Sunday. In other words, the week later, Sunday night to Sunday night. And so we will begin with John 20, verse 24 through 25. Actually, 24 and 25 is, I need to go back and pick up uh, the two verses that describe Resurrection Sunday night. This is a week earlier than what we're going to cover in this audio, because it deals with doubting Thomas. And most of this passage here at the end of John 20, verses 26 through 31, deals with Thomas and his conversion into, and his belief. But let's pick up the story back in at previous Sunday, Resurrection Sunday night, verse 24. But one of the twelve, Thomas, called twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And then Jesus had already left here in verse 25. So the other disciples kept telling him when he came back, he said, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Thomas said to them, said to the other disciples, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. Famous last words. So we see a hard-hearted or a grief-stricken Thomas, one or the other, but he was dead set on not believing. Even though he wouldn't even believe his fellow disciples. He had no reason to think they'd be lying to him. But he says, I don't care what you say, guys. I don't believe. So now we go to verse 26, and we're eight days later. After eight days, and the eight days is because you count the day you start with. Sunday, Mon- Sunday is one, Monday is two, Tuesday is three, Wednesday's four, Thursday's five, Friday is six, Saturday is seven, and the next Sunday is eight. There's your eight days. After eight days, his disciples were indoors again at the same place in the house where the disciples were meeting, and Thomas was with them. He was not with them on Resurrection Sunday night, but now he showed up and he's there. In fact, he had already showed up after Jesus had left the week, the Sunday before. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, Peace to you. Now, there's a parallel passage here of a verse, if you will, 1 Corinthians 15:5. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. We assume that he appeared to Cephas somewhere apart from the twelve disciples at a a time and place not mentioned elsewhere in the the scriptures. The Bible scholars seem to think that. And then he appeared to the twelve, and that's referring, according to Robertson, referring to this eight days later, Sunday night appearance of Jesus to the apostles. And I notice it's to the twelve. That's just the name they gave him. It was actually eleven because Judas had already hung himself. Notice that Jesus tells them after he got in there, and we'll talk about how he got in there in just a minute, But he said, peace. Now, Jesus had told them that, the same thing, the week before on Resurrection Sunday night. John 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And, of course, the reason he's saying peace is because those disciples were sitting there shivering in their boots because they were afraid of being killed by the Jewish authorities. Jesus liked that term peace. He, He mentioned it to the disciples a good bit right there at the end of his life and at the beginning of his of his uh, resurrection, at the time of his resurrection. And the reason he mentioned it so much, is, as I said, is because the disciples needed peace. At the Last Supper, John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. So he's trying to comfort them. Now, this is eight days later. It doesn't say what the disciples did on the intervening days, the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, preceding the second Sunday, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown said they probably met every day of the week. 
And Jameson Fox and Brown say that probably the Lord chose Sunday to appear to, to them again to establish the tradition of meeting on the Lord's Day. Well, that's a, I don't know. That might be. It might not be. He might have been trying to make a special day of it because he was risen on, on, on Resurrection Sunday. But at any rate, the church got in the habit of meeting on Sunday. As we, There's three places in Acts, I think it is, that said they got together on the Lord's Day. And it was called the Lord's Day because that's the day the Lord resurrected. So that's a, kind of a, a hoary ancient tradition in the Christian church. And that's a tradition that we still follow today. It's never commanded, by the way. If you follow patterns, you might want to do that. But a lot of people don't like to follow patterns. they got to have a command. No, no, no. We're supposed to follow apostolic patterns. And if this is a pattern, we should follow it if we can in my humble opinion. Now, how did Jesus get in there? He said the doors were locked. Well, you know, it could be just natural. The doors were locked. He banged on the door, and the disciples let him in. However, it says, even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. That sort of gives you the impression that what happens is he just walked through the walls, and a lot of people do believe that. I used to think that was sort of incredible. You know, I've been reading a lot of stuff about particle physics, quantum physics, and I just I just heard, watched a YouTube video. Some physicist was explaining the atom. It says like putting a P in the middle of a Gothic cathedral in Europe. The the P is the protons and the neutrons and the nucleus of the atom, and the outside ceiling and walls of the cathedral are the electrons. In other words, most of the atom is empty space. So it's not all that hard to believe, especially if you've been listening to all the nutty stuff that you read about in quantum physics. That's not so hard to believe that Jesus walked through a wall. All he's got to do is dodge the electrons and protons, shift around, and, and get through the wall. Of course, it would be a supernatural miracle, of course. I'm not absolutely convinced that this is meant to say that it was a miracle. It seems to me that it might have been pointed out a little bit stronger if it was a miracle. Wow, Jesus just walked through the walls. But it just says even though the doors were locked, it could have been, uh, even though Jesus had to knock on the door, get the disciples to come answer him and let him in, even though he had to go to a little bit of trouble to get to them, he got there when the disciples unlocked the door. Anyway, I'll leave that to your speculation. I don't know. Now, notice Thomas is here in this second meeting, eight, the eight days later meeting. He might not have believed in the resurrection, but he still identified with those outcast disciples. He was standing there risking his neck right along with the rest of them. And that's easy to remember because his nickname, Downing Thomas, is sort of a slam on him. And he eventually ended up believing he was one of the greatest, earliest evangelists of the church. But we still call him Downing Thomas. I just did it. John 20, verse 27 through 29. Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, put your finger here and observe my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be an unbeliever, but a believer. Somehow Jesus had heard Thomas's unbelief. Maybe when Jesus talked to Peter, Peter told him, Hey, you know what? Thomas doesn't believe in you. So Jesus comes back and he says, Well, I'm going to convince him when I come back to see him at the eight days later meeting. Verse 28, Thomas responded to him, to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Now, you notice he didn't even put his hands in the in the marks, in the, in the in the nail marks, and put his hands in Jesus' side. He said he needed to do that before he would believe. I will never believe unless I do that. Well, yes, he did. He just looked. He didn't put his hands there. So some people say he might have, but it doesn't say that he did. He just looked and said, my Lord and my God. Notice that Jesus takes that expression. He doesn't say, now, hey, 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 now don't call me God. You're blaspheming when you do that. No, Jesus knew he was God. He said, fine, call me God. That's because that's who I am. I'm God. Verse 29, Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Those who believe without seeing are blessed. Now, Jesus doesn't really directly rebuke Thomas for his lack of faith and lack of belief, but it's sort of an implicit rebuke. He said, hey, you know, think about all those people out there who heard my teaching and they believe me without actually seeing my resurrected self. There were, I'm sure there were people out during the 
the disciples and Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem and all over Israel where they did not see Jesus res- killed and resurrected. Or, or they, had, they or maybe they had seen Jesus killed on the cross, but they hadn't seen him resurrected. But they still believed in him. But Thomas, he had to see. There's your implied rebuke. And as Adam Clark points out, when Jesus says this, he puts every future believer on an even plane with the early disciples who saw Jesus face to face. Because he said, those who believe without seeing are blessed. All of us believe without seeing Jesus. The early disciples did see Jesus face to face. So that puts us at least on an even plane, if not better. You could make an argument that that puts us in a better situation than the early disciples. They saw and had a little trouble believing, well, hey, we don't get to see him. We don't get to see Jesus, but we still believe him. Of course, now we do have the Holy Spirit after Pentecost, which these disciples didn't have. So you got to balance that in there, too. Now, this thing where Jesus said those who believe without seeing are blessed, he's referring to those in, at his time, but also everybody in the future that believes without seeing are blessed. I just assumed that just a minute ago, but we need to point that out. That, of course, that means people in the future as well as during Jesus' time. John Gill says, It seems that there were some in Jerusalem who believed from the testimony of others, but not from sight. And I'm sure that's true. Adam Clark says, We suffer no loss for not having seen Jesus. And I used to say all the time, Oh, I wish I could have been back there and seen Jesus. Yeah, well, how do I know I would have reacted? So many people saw Jesus and didn't believe. His disciples were half the time mumbling, bumbling, fumbling. You know, they didn't know what Jesus was talking about. And there were many people who said, where is the sign of the Messiah that you're going to show us? They didn't believe. And then, of course, the Pharisees openly hated him. Who knows how I would have reacted if I had seen Jesus in the flesh? I will admit, I still would have liked to have done it. But who knows? We don't really suffer a loss for not having seen Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit given to us at Pentecost. This, this phrase that Jesus said, blessed are those who have seen without believing, this goes, this went a long way to help Thomas's unbelief if it was said without reproach, and if it was a slight reproach, if it was a reproach. And it's a comforting thought for people today who have trouble with believing Jesus. I used to be a skeptic when I was young, between the ages of, I don't know, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, in my teenage years, I had a horrible time believing. And so I have a, a soft spot in my heart for skeptics. But Jesus said, hey, you have people are blessed if you believe in Jesus without ever having seen him. Now notice as I finished saying that Thomas did not take up Jesus' offer to put his hands, Thomas's hands in the side of Jesus and his, and, his, and his fingers into the nail marks of Jesus. He didn't do that. At least it doesn't say he did it. Now, he, Clark says very prob, Adam Clark says very probably Thomas did touch the wounds, but Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown say, no, Thomas didn't take Jesus up on the offer. He just saw and believed. I think Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown are probably right. Now, it's very interesting from this point on, Adam Clark points out, that that the disciples don't seem to treat Jesus with the same degree of familiarity that they did before. My Lord and my God. I think they were kind of in shock. (laughs) They just saw a man who claimed to be God and who was their friend rose from the dead. And if you walk through those walls, that's even more shocking. And now they're, they're starting to call him God, Lord, as in God. So, so anyway... Doubting Thomas, when he responded, my Lord, my God, he was overjoyed and overcome and overpowered with emotion. It's a great scene. John 28, 30 through 31, John finishes up chapter 20. Jesus, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah. But these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. Now, the first question is, is what are those other signs, other signs, other than what? Here's some options. Option number one, 
signs other that were done after his resurrection besides the ones he did before his resurrection. And Jesus performed many other signs after the resurrection in addition to the ones that he'd done before the resurrection and which were recorded in John. That's John Gill's view. Or John Gill says it could be, option number two, other signs besides appearing in the room twice when the doors were locked. And Jesus performed many other signs besides signs besides walking through the walls. That's John Gill's idea. I don't think that's what John meant here. And I just think it just generally means Jesus did signs other than the ones recorded in John. Whether they were before or after the resurrection, who cares? The fact is, and I'm sure he did a lot of signs that were not recorded in the book of John. He did other signs before the resurrection that were not recorded in the book of John. But at any rate, we see this strong witness on credibility, testimony, witnessing. He did the signs in the presence of his disciples. That means if you have doubt that Jesus is risen again from the dead. Go talk to his disciples, and they will tell you of the of the signs that he personally saw. And, of course, we could read the book, and historically the books hold together so well as history that not even the most dedicated, blasphemous, liberal Protestant can convince a reasonable person that the books are not historically accurate. These signs that were written down, that John did write down, were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. John is a very evangelistic book. He had an evangelistic purpose as the NIV study Bible says. So that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. When you see the name of Jesus, the name of God, the name represents all that a person is and all that he stands for. So that you may have life in Jesus and all that he is and all that he stands for. It's a great way to end the chapter. John chapter 20 is finished. Next audio, we will start with John chapter 21. John 21, the last chapter of John, has 25 verses. It's the story of Jesus appearing to the seven disciples by the Sea of Galilee right before he comes back to Jerusalem, back to Bethany, back to the Mount of Olives, and ascends to his Father in heaven. We'll take up that in the next audio. I hope you stay tuned for that one, and I hope you enjoyed this audio.